That was good. Just a little choked up here. Man, I, uh, it's a privilege to be with you, Destiny. You guys look good. Uh, I don't know what it is. Jody just had a birthday, and I don't know who set it up in my phone, but it just keeps telling me she keeps turning 29. But Chris just keeps getting older. Like, his number keeps going up like, hey, today Chris is turning 43. Hey, today Chris is turning 44. Jody's like, Jody's 29 today. Call her. I'm like, dang. Uh, somebody once told me it takes a long time to grow an old friend. And I just thought, huh, I guess that's true. Um, but it's true. Jody and Chris are great. I can't say old friends. I don't want to offend them now because they're older than I am. But they're great longtime friends, you know. Uh, it is a joy to be with you guys. I feel like every time I come to Destiny, travel for me is an adventure. Uh, the first time I came to Destiny, if you weren't here, I got arrested in the airport. That's another story. Um, yesterday, I got to the airport, and uh, I left my wife and kiddo super early. I like, got to the airport at like 5.45, and I'm super pumped for my 7 a.m. flight. And I walk up to security, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'm like looking through my phone, and I'm like... Where's that boarding pass? I'm like starting to panic just a touch. And I'm like scrolling and I'm like, well, the good news is I am right on time to check in for my 7 a.m. flight on January 13th of 2022. Unfortunately, I'm a little early to get on a plane today that is leaving to go to Jacksonville. So, I, uh, I was, like, panicking, standing in the security line, and, like, we had to rebook all my tickets, and I got to Houston, and my wife was like, how was your trip? I was like, well, I got to enjoy the Lubbock Airport a little longer than I normally would, because it takes about four minutes to get through, like, the parking lot, security, and to your gate in Lubbock. It's a ginormous airport. And so I was like, man, I just, I really love our airport and all the changes. So everybody gets really disappointed when I walk in the door at Destiny without my family. So I brought a picture of them. Um, I have four beautiful kids and one incredible wife. Yes, those are twins. Yes, they came at the same time. Yes, they do not sleep at the same time. They are awesome. They're like seven months old, and uh, they're a blast. And uh, my little girl is now six, and my little boy there, you can tell he's just like his mom. Um, and he is three, and we have a blast doing life right now. It is a little messy. Kids are messy, not just in the bodily fluid form, but teaching them, training them, growing them up in the ways of the Lord. It's work, man. And um, I, I, am, I am to the point now with my son where he is old enough to, like, we're having, like, dad man talks with him, you know, and he has just started getting like spanked. I don't know if y'all believe in that or not, but it's in the Bible. It's in, has the dad spank your kids, you know, and, um, and so we've like started to have these conversations where I'm like, dude, you are being disobedient and, and you're con- there are consequences to your behavior and your actions and he just keeps doing it. He's got a mean right hook um, and he's been testing it out on my face. So um, for those of you who are in the thick of parenting, I, I am with you. For those of you who are grandparents who are giving our children so much sugar, there's a special place in heaven for you. So, hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in Mark 10 today. Um, man, before we get there, let's just pray. God, we love you. God, I love this house. I love what you have built in the last decade, Father. You have been faithful and you have been present the entire journey. God, and I know this year has been especially tough on this body of believers. And Father, I just pray for a restoration of heart and soul. God, I just pray that for those who have been wearied by the journey this year, I pray for a refreshing. God, I pray even today, this afternoon, Father, that you would renew and restore their soul. God, I pray for their bodies, God, that feel maybe out of whack or new things that they're having to deal with. Lord, I just pray healing. Just release healing to this body, Father, as a, as a group, but individually, Father. Pray healing to their bodies, Lord. And God, we just pray for many, many, many years ahead. Father, the greatest days are still ahead of them as a church and as a body of believers and as a community, as a family. And I just pray that you would increase, God, their reach in this city. God, I pray that you would increase their uh, levels of anointing in their families and their influence. Pray that you would multiply the work of their hands, God, for every business owner and, God, worker and student and mom and staying-at-home mom. Father, I pray that you would multiply the work of their hands. 
pray for favor, God, in their business. I pray for favor in their family. I pray, God, that you would do miracles. And God, as we open up your word today, Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do what you promised to do, that you would lead and guide us into all truth, that as we open your word, God, that you promised that it would be alive and active, and so we pray that it would do just that this morning, that it would speak to us, God, that it would speak to our hearts, God, that it would do a work that only you and your word can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to continue our series, Building Your Life on Values at Last. If you've missed some, I'd encourage you to get on the podcast, go listen to those. I've been listening to them driving around, um, and uh, they're so good. Um, But this morning, I want to talk about uh, a foundational value that I think each and every one of us as disciples, as Jesus people, has to have. It is a non-negotiable. Um, meaning that if you're going to say yes to Jesus and follow him for a lifetime, that this is a value that you have to have. You can't skip over this one. You can't take a pass. You don't get credit. You can't clip out of this course. You have to have it. Um, foundations are really important. I, I was doing some just you know research, wandering through the internet. The tallest building in the world right now is uh, the Burj Khalifa building in Abu Dhabi, right? And it is... 2,723 feet tall. I think I got a picture of it. It is a massive building, okay? It is huge. Um, for reference, okay, so as you're looking at that, you're like, man, that's really, that's really tall. The tallest building in Jacksonville is the Bank of America Tower. It is 620 feet tall, meaning that building is four and a half times taller than the largest building in Jacksonville, Okay? That's a big building, okay? So uh, it's pretty magnificent. When you look at it, it, it is, it's pretty incredible. The most important thing about that building, though, is not what you can see. It's the foundation, right? Um, so I, I, um, I transitioned, some of you know this, I transitioned last year from full-time pastoral ministry on staff at a church, and I have transitioned to being a general contractor. And I'm learning a thing or two about foundations, I'm learning a thing or two about dirt work and concrete and rebar. Some of y'all are thinking rebar. I do that every Friday. I, I just re-up at the bar. Just re, it's not the same, okay? Rebar and rebar are not the same thing, okay? Um, and I'm learning. And so I, I don't know if you know this, but you don't know this, okay? I just know this because I Googled it. That building is 2,723 feet tall. The concrete underneath that building goes down 192 feet. It's 164 feet below ground of concrete. There's 192 individual piers to support that building. They're five inches in diameter and full of concrete. That's, that's a lot of concrete. That building sits on a 12-foot thick pad of concrete. Okay, so we, I build metal buildings primarily. The, the concrete we use is 3,000 PSI concrete, meaning for every inch of concrete, it'll support 3,000 pounds. Okay? There's 164 feet of concrete to hold up that building. The depth and strength of the foundation determines the structure that can be built. You can't avoid this, right? We, we, in our lives, we think, man, like, I don't need to work on my foundation. It's pretty good. But the reality is, is the, you can only build up if you build down. Okay? The foundation, the definition, right, is the lowest load-bearing part of a building. It's typically below ground level. Or the other definition of a foundation is it's an underlying basis or principle. And so this morning, I want to talk to us as Jesus people about the most important foundation for our lives, and that is the foundation of Scripture, the value of Scripture, uh, the Word of God, right? Um, For for some of us, if we're we're honest, Scripture may not be the foundation of our life. But if we're going to be old men and women who love Jesus and who've loved Him for a lifetime and who've journeyed with Him and had adventures and seen God do incredible things... It's a non-negotiable that Scripture has to be our foundation, right? Um, I love this quote from Mike Mason. He says, a 30-year-old man is like a densely populated city. Nothing new can be built without something else being torn down. 
we're going to make scripture, scripture foundational in our lives, it means something else may have to go, right? Proper building first requires adequate excavation, okay? Proper building first requires adequate excavation. So I told you to go to Mark 10, okay? We're going there in just a second, but let me, let me set us up some understanding of, of where we're going there, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Here, here's the most important little phrase that we're going to focus on today. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, right? So sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustain means to strengthen or support physically or mentally, to bear the weight of without breaking or failing, or to cause to continue to be prolonged for an extended period of time without interruption, meaning to carry something through without pause, without interruption, that there's no faltering or wavering in Jesus' word. There's, there's nothing that's going to fall out of rhythm the way that God designed it to because it's the word of God that sustains all things, right? So Hebrews says that Jesus sustains all things through his word, right? And then he follows it up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, for the word of God is alive and active. So it's not just, it doesn't just sustain, but it is sustaining, Right? Does, does that make sense? It, it sustains, right? And it's sustaining. Meaning, it is an ongoing action that is happening in our lives. That the Word of God is ongoing in our lives. That it is constantly sustaining our lives. That it is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and mind. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Bible, the Word of God, is alive and active. And you and I have to be men and women of Scripture. We have to be men and women who build our lives on the foundation of God's word, right? Because here's some things I'm seeing in Christianity today, right? Um, I, I, I've had the privilege, uh, you know, I get to do construction and all this, but I, I get privileged to be able to speak to our college students at our church um, a couple times a month and just hang out with them, and it's been a blast, right? Uh, when I first started in ministry, I got to work with college students, and so it feels like a coming home for me of just like no agenda, getting to hang out, talk about Jesus, and and I'm asking them these questions. Like, I, I talked to them literally this, this last Tuesday about the, the Scripture, about the Word of God. Here's some things that I'm, I'm learning. That our context of how we look at books has seeped into how we look at the Bible. Meaning, um, I'm like a, an audible fiend right now. Like, I, I spend hours a day in my truck driving from job site to job site, and so I'm like, I, I just, I'm going to listen to something good, right? So I have some books that I would recommend that I can't publicly recommend because they're not rated for children. But come see me later. I got some good ones that you should listen to. Um, they're just good life books. Um, but I've just been listening and listening and listening. And, and, and if I'm honest, there's a couple that I've gotten that I'm like, this is terrible. This is not a good book. It just shouldn't, you shouldn't have written this. And I'm tempted to go on Audible, right, and leave a review. Because that's what we do. We want to, or like somebody posts on, on social media, like you guys wouldn't do this. But there are people in the world who think that it's their job to check everybody's life and their statements for validity. And if it doesn't match up with them, they just let them know right there in the comments. And unfortunately, this idea, this, this practice has seeped over into how we view the Bible. So we come to this thing and, and we think, well, I don't really like what the author's saying. So I'm going to do like Audible. I'm just going to return the book and get my credit back. <laughs> I'm going to get a different book. I'm going to go find an author who says what I want them to say. And so we find ourselves like judging this book, right, or, or being a critic of this book instead of understanding that this book is designed to judge us. And not in a condemning way, but in a, Oh, Hebrews 4, it lays open our soul. It pierces to the very core of who we are. It's alive and active. That it's, oh, it's judging what's going on inside of our heart, and we don't like that. Okay? Here's the other thing, right? Uh, previous generations believed the Bible. 
let that sink in. Previous generations believed in the Bible. Okay? Uh, I have a friend he works with Campus Crusades, now, now called Crew. Um, and he, he leads the, the, the crew team at Texas Tech. And he and I were working out uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked him, like, hey, like, have you noticed a decline in biblical literacy on college campuses? He said, dude, I was just having this conversation. He said, we got a new staff guy, and I was taking him to the dorms. And, the, and, the, and he said, dude, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I was at Tech, he's like, we would walk through the halls, and we might find one person who didn't know what John 3.16 was. We might find one person who didn't know what John 3.16 was. He said, today, I might be lucky if in a week of conversations with students on campus, I'll find one student who does know what John 3.16 is. So what, what's happening is this, this judgmental critique of the book has seeped into generations where we, they no longer believe the validity of Scripture. Okay, so previous generations believe the Bible. A, the new generation doubts everything before they believe it. Okay? Here's the other thing. Uh, we have a false sense of understanding. The second-hand knowledge of the Bible is not first-hand experience. You catch that? So I know a lot of people, and they're like, man, yeah, I read the Bible. And I'm like, when was the last time you read it? And you're like, oh, well, I listened to a podcast on, on Friday, and the pastor talked about, you know, the Bible. You didn't answer my question. <laughs> Listening to a podcast or a sermon does not equate to reading and knowing and being in your Bible. And the access to sermons in the internet has, I think, actually, as, as a generation, as believers, it's made us lazy with the scriptures. It's made us so lazy with some very simple things that Jesus calls us to. There's, um, there's a loss of biblical literacy. There, there's this growing trend in, in church to use scripture to support our feel-good beliefs. Like I, I ask, I ask somebody sometimes. I have this whole message I do on Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and most people in church don't like it. And it's because like we we pull this verse out of context, and we like put it on our doilies. Y'all know what doilies are? I figure in the South we've still got some. Okay, all right. Jeremiah twenty. We we take it out of context, and and when you ask like, do you know any other scriptures? No. Okay. Well, you you've got to be in. The word of God, it's not always going to make you feel good. That, that's just part of the journey, right? Um, here's the other thing. Uh, people today establish truth based on a search engine. Instead of the divine, inerrant word of God. We will trust Google over Jesus, over the Holy Spirit. Over access to information makes us think we know things better than we actually do. Um, here's another thing. It, it, you know, uh, I remember growing up and, and I had, I, I got uh, carpooled to school. I went to a, a Christian school when I was growing up and for the first part of my journey and, and we got carpooled with an, another family. And um, the mom, she used to make us say Psalms 23 every morning on our way to school. Psalms 23 in the Lord's Prayer. I remember the smell of her van. I remember, like, the smell of her hair. I remember, like, it's why today I can't ride in a minivan without, like, up chucking just a little. I remember her driving. But I remember, like, saying scripture, and, and she made us repeat it every day. Why? To get it in our heart. And today we have it on our screen, and we think that that's just as good as having it in our heart. That's not true. Just because you have it on your screen doesn't mean that it's hidden in your heart. Just because you can access it on your screen doesn't mean that it's hidden in your heart. Having a screen with you 24-7 isn't, isn't an excuse to not hide the word of God in your heart. Like, the Bible is timeless, and yet when it says, like, I've hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you, we think, yeah, I've hidden your word in my back pocket that I might check it if I need to. 
But here's what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He doesn't say, out of the tablet of your pocket does the mouth speak. He says, out of the abundance of your heart, it speaks. And I've met a lot of people doing business, and I'm like, I don't think you know Jesus. Like, no, no, I know Jesus. I'm like, no, no, your heart, it's really sick. It's got some dirty things in there. The only way to change that is Scripture. The only way is to get that hidden in your heart. You, you, th- look, like this thing won't work as a filter for your mouth, but Scripture will. But we think, oh, it's on here. This, it works. It doesn't work the same. It doesn't work the same, right? The other thing I'm noticing is that we, we've, we've begun to miss the purpose of Scripture. Um, we can't just open the Bible and read it and get credit for it. Okay, it's not, about, it's not about information transfer. It's about life transformation. Okay, so if we're just reading it like the New York Times, and it's just content, it's just in our head, it, it's not the same. The New York Times may make you make different decisions about business, but the Bible will make you make different decisions about your entire life. There's a difference. This one's alive and active. The other one's not. So, The goal of Scripture is life transformation. Okay, so I want to look, Mark 10, right? Here's where we're going. I want to look at a a passage of Scripture where Jesus addresses a group of people who interpret and use Scripture wrong. Okay? So Mark chapter 10, let me me set kind of the, the, the stage for us here. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay? He has begun this transition. He's on his way to the cross, and now he is... He is full-fledged, unafraid, talking about kingdom principles. He's addressing Pharisees, Sadducees, religious le- leaders in a different way than he does leading up to this point, right? And, and about Mark 8, it shifts. In Mark 8, he, he begins to move towards the cross, right? Luke says that he set his face as flint towards Jerusalem. He's moving with purpose, right? And he knows, like, at this point in my life, in my journey, I, I only have a short amount of time left, so I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to play it and say, we're going to have honest conversations, right? Um, you know, this year my wife was like, man, you're turning 33. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, I'm not. She's like, why? And I'm like, Jesus died at 33 and a half. I mean, real men of God, I, there's a shorter timeline, you know? Mark chapter 10, verse 2 says this, right? A little bit long chunk, but I want to set it up in context, okay? Some Pharisees came and tested him, Jesus, by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus says, what did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. We don't like this passage, okay? Makes us a little uncomfortable. We're going to wade through it, okay? Got your big boy pants on, big girl pants on. Um, so here, here's some things to point out when we're reading the Bible, okay? I, I'm going to like, I'm going to wrap this whole thing up by just a little bit of like nerdy teaching about the Bible, okay? That, that's where we're going. I just want to, I want to teach you a little bit. Um, I have a degree in biblical studies. So that's not a like quantifier or qualifier statement. It just means I've read a whole lot of books about the Bible in the Bible, okay? And I want to pass some of that on to you, okay? Free education. Um, but here's some things to, to notice in your Bible. Okay, so I just want you to look at your Bible, your screen, your, your paper, whatever it is. Also, I just highly recommend a paper version. A screen just doesn't smell the same, you know. It's really hard to scribble and draw on a screen. It doesn't feel so real and personable. And you can't hit your kids with your phone. My wife's watching this, and she's like, he never hits our kids. In your Bible, okay, let, let's look at a couple things, right? Verse 6. 
But at the beginning of creation, God, okay, notice what happens right here. There's a little mark there. That mark means that Jesus is now quoting scripture. You catch that? God made them male and female. Period. End quote. Beginning of another quote that Jesus is now quoting. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Period. End quote. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Okay? Jesus is quoting scripture. Here's why this is fascinating. Because Jesus asked, Mo, asked the Pharisees, what did Moses command you? Do you know who wrote Genesis? Moses. Do you know who also wrote Deuteronomy, which is what they were quoting? Moses. The Pharisees' approach to the law was, what does it allow me to do? What can I get away with? What can I do? What can I get away with? I'm going to quote the passage of the law that allows me to get away with what I want to get away with. Jesus' approach in response to the Pharisee and God's approach to the law is this cover-to-cover approach. Is what I call it. The cover-to-cover approach. Where when another lawyer asked Jesus, what's, what are the greatest, what's the greatest command? What does Jesus say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. What's he saying? He's saying if you read all of the law, cover to cover, they are all about one thing. Loving God with everything that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. Scripture is a meta-narrative. It's a giant story. Cover to cover. It's one story. Okay, So Jesus is going to respond to the Pharisees and say, no, no, no. You're only quoting the part of scripture that you like and you want to quote that allows you to do the thing that you want to do. That's not correct, right? So Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 says this. So Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs then closed up the place with flesh, which I'm going to ask for an instant replay on when we get to heaven. Just blood and guts and surgery, I'm in. Like, let me see it, you know. Uh, People are like, look at this car wreck. And I'm like, yeah, play it in slow motion. Anyway, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So Moses wrote Genesis. Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Moses wrote about marriage in both of those based on what the Lord had told him to write. Okay? Jesus sees through the Pharisees' interpretation of Scripture, and he's going to speak to the heart. Okay? There's a heart issue that's on display right here. He says that divorce is the result of hard hearts, and Jesus is most concerned with issues of the heart. Jesus is also speaking to a much greater idea. Right? He's also speaking to the truth that marriage is a covenant. It's not a legal agreement. I met with a couple, uh, let's see, last week. Um, I don't, the story's kind of funny. They're, she's from Roswell, that she works with a friend of mine, and, and she and her fiance want to get married. They've been dating for a while, and man, they, they have a daughter together, and they felt like, man, man, we really feel like we need to make our marriage right before the Lord. So they asked my friend, who's a banker, hey, can you marry us? And he's like, that's not really in the job description. There's a lot of things I can help you do. I can help you multiply a lot of things. Marriage is not one of them. So he was like, you know what, though? I know a guy. And so I sat down with them, and and I'm asking them, you know, hey, why do you want to get married? And they're like, well, you know, kind of dance around. I said, here's the reality. In the state of Texas, you two are common law married. Meaning legally, if, if you die, dude, she gets your stuff. Like, legally, she can go to a court of law, and she can argue because of all of the shared things that you have, your daughter, your house, your bank accounts, all these things. She can legally argue that she has access to everything, that she's your common-law wife. So why do you want to get married? And they thought about it for a minute, and they're like, well, I don't think marriage is really a legal thing. And I'm like, ah, now we're onto something. Jesus is speaking to the fact that marriage is a covenant thing, not a contract thing. 
you only understand that if you read all of Scripture. The Pharisees are, are, are arguing, no, 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 Moses said we could write a certificate, that it's a legal thing. And Jesus says, no, 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 God says it's a covenant thing. I don't like that. I mean, the first time God breaks covenant with Abraham, cuts a cow in half. I don't know why that's not in kids' Bibles these days, but cuts a cow in half, and God passes through it, and Abraham passes through it, and, and it was representing this truth that, like, if either one of us breaks this covenant, let us end up like this cow. That's what covenant was. That's how a covenant was established in the Old Testament. So God's saying marriage is a covenant thing, right? So the Pharisees are approaching Scripture looking for their rights, not their responsibilities. Okay? They're approaching Scripture looking for their rights. What's my right? Not, what's my responsibility? Oh, it's a covenant relationship. I've got some responsibility in this thing not working out right now. No, they wanted to go, oh, no, no, I just want to sign the paperwork, split it up, be done. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't do that. You have responsibilities. Scripture speaks to your responsibilities. The Pharisees are asking, what's my legal precedent to treat people however I want? Jesus says, it's not how it's worked. It's not how it works. There's a heart issue here, right? So here's what's interesting. They don't, they don't mention anything about the welfare of the wife in this situation. They don't care anything about the kids that may be present in this situation. Literally are approaching Scripture. What justifies me doing me? Help boo-boo do boo-boo. You do you, boo-boo. That's what they're asking. And that's their approach to Scripture. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. You, you have to read it all. And if you read it all, you realize that Divorce is the end state of a pre-existing, untreated condition, hardness of heart. Okay, we don't like talking about this passage, so, so let me, I put it up there a different way. Blank, greed, lust, gossip, envy, jealousy. You can, you can fill that blank in with anything you want to. Jesus is addressing a much bigger issue. It's the hardness of heart that's the issue. And if your heart is hard, you will always approach Scripture to justify your actions. Jesus is most concerned with our hearts. Scripture is totally aimed at changing our hearts. We just read it in Hebrews 4, right? It's, it's alive and active, sharper than double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Join tomorrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It, it always goes deeper than we want it to. That's the way it was designed. I remember I was talking to somebody once I'm a business guy, and, I, and, and he had, had to walk through some layoffs. I forget when this was. It was a couple years ago. And I said, well, how do you, like, how do you know how many people to eliminate? And that seems really hard, right? Like, he's like, man, financially, I mean, he had all the reasoning and, and, and all the money and everything was, I mean, it was just like, we've we got to make some cuts. And he said this. He said, J.D., I've learned that if I'm going to cut something out, I want to go as deep as necessary to make sure the problem never comes back. He said, J.D., would you, if you had cancer in your body, would you want the doctor to stop halfway through the cancer? I'm like, no, I'd want him to take it all out. He goes, man, I'm having to walk through this right now. And I really want to go as deep as I have to so that I don't have to come back and do it again. Scripture does that to us. It goes really deep sometimes in our heart. We really think, ah, I'm just struggling with a little bit of, you know, frustration. And the Lord, you open up Scripture and really what you, you find is the Holy Spirit saying like, no, 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 like you have an anger issue. You have a root of anger in your life. It is the filter by which you respond to everybody. And you're like, okay, we're done with that book, you know. It cuts deep, right? So if I'm honest, this season of, of my life, man, it's been tough, okay? And I find myself in my prayers praying my rights. God, I have a right to healing. I have a right to provision. 
I have a right to protection. I have a right to favor. I have a right for you to enlarge my tents and expand my territory. I have a right. And the Holy Spirit says, but yeah, you're not praying for any grace to carry out your responsibilities. To love and care for the widow and orphan. To care about the kingdom more than anything else. To to love God with all that you are. To serve and not be served. To worship. You're not asking for a grace to do that. You're asking for your rights and neglecting your responsibilities. If you want the rights of sons and daughters, you cannot abandon the responsibilities of sons and daughters. We, We really want to read scripture to find out what's the promises that have been guaranteed to me. And we skip over the requirements and the responsibilities that are also in Scripture. We forget that cover to cover, God is about people. But God is also about accountability and holiness and correction. We're like, nah, he's not. It's in there. It's not on your doily, but it's in there. It's in there. And it is the totality of Scripture that changes us to be more like Christ. Scripture has to be the foundation of our lives so that we live correctly as sons and daughters. I'm I'm learning, like, my wife would tell you, like, hey, what's J.D.'s one flaw as a parent? No is really hard for me. It's really hard. Like, uh, my, especially with my six-year-old daughter, I, I think she's my firstborn. I was wrapped around her pinky before she was born. Like, she's like, Dad, I want to go, you know, get ice cream. I'm like, yeah, get in the car. Let's do it. My wife's like, uh, you going to take the rest of us? And I'm like, yeah, sure, get in the car. Yeah, let's, yeah, absolutely, let's all go, you know. Or we'll be out of the store, and she's like, Dad, can I have a treat? And I'm like, yeah, you can have a treat. And my wife's like, you just, no. Practice with me. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And I'm like, no. See? I See what I did there? She's like, oh. I, I just, I don't like it, right? I don't like, uh, I don't like it. But but here's, here's what we're like. I don't want my daughter to be entitled, right? I don't want her to be spoiled. I want her to be loved and cherished and, and know that her dad is willing to lavish anything on her, right? But if I also don't teach her the responsibilities of being a daughter in our house and what goes with being a daughter, yes, you have access to this side of dad, but you also have these responsibilities as a daughter in our house. You have a responsibility to control your attitude when we're at the store. You have a responsibility to to help and to lead and to love and to serve. You have responsibilities, right? So if... If we want to act like spoiled children, then just read about your rights. Just read about your rights in Scripture and never your responsibilities. But if you want to be a son or a daughter who who helps establish the family business and helps run the family business, which is the kingdom of God, then you've got to know your rights and responsibilities. Because your rights are there to help you execute your responsibilities. Lord, I I need to be healed in whole. Why? Because I need to serve. Man, I need favor in my business. Why? So I can support people who are doing this, this, and this. I, I love how this one author says, he says, when scripture is rightly interpreted, it is ultimately about Jesus as God, our Savior, the object of our faith, forgiver of our sins, and giver of eternal life. Therefore, to correctly interpret scripture, you will need to connect its verses, concepts, and events to Jesus. I love that. Okay, so here's some facts, okay? Here's some facts about the Bible. The New Testament authors refer to the Old Testament as sacred scripture, which literally means writings. The word Bible comes from the Greek word for book, so holy Bible therefore means holy book, okay? It's written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors of varying ages and backgrounds. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's 66 separate books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, with one story. One theme, one God, one author. The New Testament has roughly 300 explicit Old Testament quotations and upwards of 4,000 allusions to the Old Testament. 4,000. 
Here's just one that's not up there. We have more pieces of scripture written on all kinds of things from all over the world. We have more pieces and documents confirming that scripture was written and is true and is without error than we do of Shakespeare, Plato, Socrates, all of the ancient authors combined. It's not co-authored. There's not two authors collaborating on the Bible. It's not two individuals. It is God. It's not a rough draft written by humans for God to revise. Here's our thoughts. What do you think? Mark it in red. Let me know. It's not. It's not how it works. It's not words dictated to humans, right? That's how the Quran supposedly was written, that an angel dictated to Muhammad. It's not, it's not that way. It is not human thoughts about spiritual ideas. It's not like a running commentary on spirituality. Buddha's writings are all interpretations and comments about spirituality. Interestingly enough, the Quran and Eastern religions all reference back to stories and themes from the Bible. The Bible and the law was present before any of those other writings came about. Here's a big word. We believe it is verbal plenary inspiration. Use that this week in a sentence, okay? Meaning, every word is important and chosen by God. Every word is useful for our lives and is scripture just the same. That's what we believe as Christ followers. That's what we have to choose to believe even when it doesn't feel good or make sense. Even when our friends or our coworkers are like, nah, why would you trust an old book? You, you and I, just like our faith in choosing to believe in a God that we can't physically touch, we have to go, I believe that this word, this book, this Bible is the word of God. I believe it's alive and active, right? Um, the, Bi- the Council of Carthage in 397 actually put all this together, okay? They took a vote. There was no disagreement, okay? How'd they pick the books of the Bible? Great question. I'm glad you asked. The conformity of rule of faith, meaning does it teach orthodoxy Christian truths that were recognized as normative, normal behavior in churches at the time? city, Apostle, you got it. It's up there. Was the writer of the book an apostle, or did the writer have immediate contact with the apostles? The men who did life with Jesus, who were around for his ministry, all but a few of the New Testament authors were actually eyewitnesses to the events they recorded. Catholic, that word. Did the book have widespread and continuous acceptance and uses by churches everywhere? Meaning of all the churches at the time, were they all referencing the same letters, authors, and scripture? Had to meet those requirements to be in here. Here's what's interesting. According to one count, Jesus and the New Testament authors quote various parts of the Old Testament scriptures as divinely authoritative over 295 times. But not once do they cite any statement from the books of the Apocrypha or any other writings as having divine authority. That's impressive. Here's my questions, okay? We're going to wrap it up. When it comes to Scripture, is it a filter for your decisions? How do we know if Scripture is the foundation for our lives? Is it a filter for your decisions? When faced with a major life decision, where do you turn for wisdom and direction? I love, I have got a great community of guys in my life, men and women who speak life into me, who hold me accountable, who tell me when I am like just jacked up in my thinking. But I take all of their influence and input with a grain of salt. I always have to come back to scripture. Scripture has got to be the filter for our lives, right? Do you bend scripture around your life or your life around scripture? Do you bend scripture around your life or your life around scripture? Meaning, this thing is unchangeable and immovable. My life is not. My personality, my pride, my beliefs, my ideas, they're all changeable. The word of God is not. So do I try to make this line up with my life or do I make my life line up with this? Do you use scripture to justify your actions? Good, bad, in between. 
Do you read scripture and then change your life, right? Is it a lifestyle or emergency use only? Is it a lifestyle or an emergency use only? Let me ask me, Judy, how have you loved Jesus so long? Like, I have a lot of friends who, like, started running the race really well and, and have um, petered out, for lack of a better term. Or just walked away from Jesus altogether. And, and I, I have been thinking through this, like, man, what keeps me coming back to it? And it is a daily discipline of being in the Word of God. I've been at a lot of great churches. I've been around a lot of great pastors and prophetic speakers and blah, 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 blah. None of those things keep me engaged with Jesus. It's Scripture. And actually, Scripture gives me the grace to endure all those pastors, you know what I'm saying? Y'all don't have that issue, but some people, you know what I'm saying? How often do you engage with Scripture? I don't have time. No, no, no. You won't make time. You have the same amount of time in your day as everybody else in the world. Well, it just doesn't fit in my schedule. No, no, no. You won't make it fit into your schedule. You will do what you prioritize. Do you eat three times a day? Uh, yeah. Do you drink water? No. <laughs> do you work out? No. doesn't fit into my schedule or my life. Okay, well, those are two things that will have a radical impact on the health of your life. You're not doing them because you don't value them. I don't like it. You're talking about health. Let's talk about something else. Just saying. You will schedule and you will make a priority for what you value. In the morning, on your lunch break, sitting at home after everybody goes to bed, make it a priority. Make it a discipline. Make it a rhythm in your life. I have a friend and she, she has one chair. It's called the chair. Like, when she references as, like, it should be a national monument. She's like, I was in the chair the other day, and I'm like, you say that like everybody should know what the chair is. Like, it's a coffee spot or something. She's like, I was in the chair the other day, and I was reading my Bible, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's the only thing you do in the chair is read the Bible. She's like, I know, but I was, just, it was, I was just making sure you knew that I was in the chair and reading the Bible. I'm like, I know. You're in the chair reading the Bible. Have a spot. Have a moment. Make it you. Draw. Paint. Whatever you got to do to process with Scripture in your life. Whatever. Journal. You know, write it all out. I, write out your prayers. I don't care what you do. Just do it. How do you approach Scripture, right? So here's a practical. It's soap. Super easy. Soap. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. My bookcase in my house, I have books everywhere. Of the things that my wife is like, you need to get rid of. It's all of my books. It'll never happen. Just She's watching. I just need her to know. But on the top of my shelf, I just have all of these journals. Some of them look alike. Some of them don't. Some of them are those free gifts Christian people give you, and they're really terrible. The gold lettering and the gold stuff on the pages. Nobody likes that. Guys don't like that. Don't buy it for guys. Anyway, some of them are really just like three-ring binders with paper in them. Some of them are like spiral notebooks. Some of them are leather. Some of them are torn. Every single one of them, if you pull it off the shelf, is this. It's a journey of my life in Scripture. It, it will probably not make the, like, top ten fought-over items when I'm gone and my kids are, like, sorting stuff out. But I hope that one of them picks it up and realizes that of all the things that my dad was, he was faithful to be in the Word of God. And even just having these journals, like, on my shelf and seeing them every day, it reminds me that, like, this is a bedrock discipline in your life. At the end of this year, are you going to add another book to this or not? Scripture? Scripture are you reading? Read through Proverbs. One a day. Really simple. Start in Mark. It's really short. Story of Jesus' life. Cliff Notes version. We all love Cliff Notes. I, oh, should I be a part of a church? Read Acts. It's a church idea. Where did it come from? Is it important? Should I do it? Read the book of Acts. Treat yourself. Christmas is coming up. Go buy you a new Bible. Like this, like a, a, a book with paper in it. Buy a translation you've never read before. And get a, get a pen and just start in Genesis. And just commit that, hey, this year, before Christmas next year, every year I'm going to buy myself a new Bible. I'm going to read through it. And I'm going to make 
notes, and I'm going to mark it up. I'm going to highlight it. I, I've, I did this for a couple years, and I've got like four or five Bibles on my shelf. And if you go through and you like pull them out and you like open them up to the same place, the same thing is not highlighted in both of them. You know why? Because it's alive and active. And in every season of our life, it's going to speak a specific thing to our story. And I love that. I love being able to go and be like, hey, I'm preaching on Hebrews. I should open up. What, what, what was I thinking in like 2016? It's like, apparently I wasn't reading the Bible in 2016 or something. There's not enough marked in here, man. Like, it's so good, you know. And a different translation will call you to, cause you to see different things. And then you can like get your spouse together and be like, hey, like this year for Christmas, we're trading Bibles. Just ignore all the parts that are about you. Or maybe you're like, hey, let's trade Bibles. I, I went ahead and marked some passages for you. Got some sticky notes. You're going to want to read those first. Okay? Just want to give this to you. The height that you want your life to go to is determined by the depth of your foundation. I would phrase it like this. The depth of your relationship with Jesus is reflected by the value in which you place on it. The heights to which you know the character of God will be determined by the value that you place on that. There's no shortcut, all right? Let's pray. Father God, I pray, God, over destiny. I pray over us as Jesus people. I pray, Father, that we would give time to the, the, the hard work of excavation. That if we're here in this room this morning and scripture has not been a foundational value for us, I pray that we would allow you to do a work and remove whatever we've placed there. And I pray that you would make scripture a foundational value for us, Father. I pray that we would allow you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would allow you to take us through your word. And to take out any false beliefs or ideas that we've replaced with your truth. And we would open your word and allow your truth to overtake our false ideals and beliefs. God, I pray that scripture would become a cornerstone, foundation for our lives, our decisions, our interactions. God, I pray that it would be buried in our hearts and alive on our lips. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.